You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome in to episode 158 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios and the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, we break down the return of the Commonwealth Cup to Blacksburg as Virginia Tech knocked off Virginia 33-15 on Saturday. Episode 158 of the Tech Sideline podcast gets started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, we're so glad you could join us as we record on Monday morning, December 14th. Our normal crew today, we have our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land behind the scenes. He is Malcolm Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. If you're watching live on YouTube this morning, thanks so much for being with us. Two quick things. Please hit the like and subscribe button. Please help us out. Greatly appreciate it. And then if you have a question for Will or Chris, there is a lot going on in Virginia Tech Athletics right now. It's crossover season. Maybe it's basketball related. Maybe it's football related. Go ahead and drop it in the chat, and we will weave those in at the end of the show. Gentlemen, it is great to be back with you. And uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts. When Virginia Tech beats Virginia, how much better is your weekend because of the way the message boards are, social media? Does it just make everything better for your weekend? Yeah, you know, I think I said after the game, and maybe I said it before the game, that I wanted to win that one just so the fan base could be happy again. If it's only for one or two days, that's fine. It's but it's still one or one or two days that aren't toxic. Um, you know, you, you still see a few of the comments, like uh, I, I retweeted the picture of Fuente's post-game interview with Laser, where it's he's got a beer on yeah. his feet, pretty sure that's a beer, and I was like, well-earned or something like that, and, somebody, and then somebody chimed in, and it was like, yeah, but we lost the previous four, I'm like, I didn't even respond to that, <laughs> I was like, just, just enjoy the win, man, just enjoy the win, but most people aren't like that, um, so... Uh, I think uh, it was good to have a Sunday where everybody was happy to a certain extent. You, you wrote your article in peace. Yes, yes. UVA is the most fun team to beat. I mean, beating North Carolina is fun and beating Miami is fun, but it's just a different level when you beat UVA. You know, the the, the memes and stuff, and and it's just a it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, so what is that? Sixteen out of seventeen. Yes. Yeah. And, and twenty out of twenty-two. 
and so, they haven't won in Blacksburg since 1998. Right. So that's the stat that I think is is most interesting is the fact that UVA has not beaten Virginia Tech since Malcolm and I were born in right. Blacksburg. In right. Blacksburg, yeah. So yeah. I was reading up on that game too. I believe Ahmad Hawkins was the name. It was a touchdown pass yeah. with like two minutes left. It was a back and forth game down to the wire. So I, so believe, yeah, that's, so, I believe that's Dwight Vick's cousin. I think I'm at, uh, I think I'm at Hawkins' is Dwight Vick. Man, they're all cousins or, or at least in the they, 7 At least they know each other really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> so there were a l- so, so a little bit about that game. That was – I remember uh, that game was 29-7 to 7 at halftime. The Hokies were winning. And, and I'm not making this up. I remember at halftime thinking, man, I don't know, you know. And, and I don't remember the exact details now, but I do remember that, like, UVA had a fullback named Charles something who at one point was running down the middle of the field wide open, and the quarterback just overthrew him. And that was one of a number of plays that I thought, you know, it was twenty nine to seven, but I I was just and their quarterback was I, um, I don't remember and oh wasn't was that Aaron Brooks in ninety eight or did he leave after ninety seven? I think that's right. Brooks found Hawkins for that. 47 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it was, so, so it was Aaron Brooks. So, right. So Brooks went on to start for the Saints. Right. Yeah, he was a good football um, player. I right. didn't think he was an NFL that, guy, but he turned out th- to be. That yeah. was the last year where I feel like UVA had a lot of talent on their team. I yeah. thought I think it really started dropping off in 1999, steadily dropped off. Yeah, and um, uh, so yeah, that '98 team was still was still pretty loaded. Uh, Patrick Kearney was on that team, maybe, probably. You or, know, the, or well, maybe, the peak year in the rivalry was the '95 and '96 games. Right, there was just so much talent right. on the field. But I remember just thinking at halftime, I wasn't totally comfortable with it. And sure enough, Tech, you know, gacked it away in the uh, in the second half. And then the 90 – Chris, do you remember the score of the 96 game at halftime? I think UVA uh, was actually winning. UVA was winning 9-7 to seven at halftime, and Virginia Tech won 26-9. And ironically, I wasn't the least bit worried Not about the, that game. I was like, man, Tech's going to win Tech, this Tech, the Tech had a habit that year of their offensive line was so big and strong, and they'd be in a tight game at halftime, and then they'd just wear out the other team yeah. in the second half. And I, that's that's what I thought would happen in that game, and that, that's what it, that's what did happen. Well, this one certainly had a different feel to it. Virginia Tech was trying to win the Commonwealth Cup back. Virginia was trying to win consecutive cups for the first time since 1997, uh, 1998, and it certainly lived to be a game that uh, you, you guys both predicted. The games you took Virginia Tech, Chris took Virginia, and the Hokies win it 33 to 15. We're going to break it all down today on episode 158 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which is presented by Campus Emporium, proud to sponsor the TSL community. A portion of every sale is returned to Virginia Tech in support of its endowment for excellence, student programming, and need-based scholarships. We have been serving the Virginia Tech community for over 25 years from our locations in Blacksburg and our online store. Please visit the number one source for Virginia Tech merchandise at CampusEmporium.com or come see us at 207 North Main Street or 1337 South Main Street. Tech Sideline Podcast also presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Go to SoutheastRTC.com to find out how you can support Virginia Tech wrestling today. So before we dive into everything, I have to say, so after a win for Tech football, right, it's fun to be on social media. How can you not get on Twitter and see the memes and see the tweets? But the best tweet on Saturday, I think, had to come from our own Chris Coleman. And I have to read this tweet that happened just before the third quarter started that literally made me laugh out loud. I don't remember it. Tech scored on every drive in the first half. If they do that in the second half, they'll win. Hashtag analysis. (laughs) They didn't quite do it. They did it on the first drive, though. They did score on their first drive and made it 30-7. to And, 
even the most pessimistic of tech fans had to feel pretty good at that point. Yeah, uh, like like we had, it seemed like Tech had taken their best shot. Like Tech had muffed a punt and UVA still couldn't score. UVA had successfully faked the punt and they still couldn't mm-hmm. score. So they had already done those things and Tech was still up thirty to seven, and it would have taken a lot for UVA to come back at that point. So both Virginia Tech and Virginia entered a, entered Saturday's Commonwealth Clash kind of on different trajectories. Virginia was looking for its first five-game winning streak since 2007, and the Hokies were hoping to avoid its first five-game losing streak since 1992. Hokies prevailed 33-15, to Virginia Tech's first win since October 31st on Halloween against Louisville. Will, mm. was this the most complete game Virginia Tech has played all season? That is a good question. Um, I, I, I would I would have to go back to maybe the NC State game. That's uh, the only other option. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, special teams. Although Brian Johnson kicked really well, Brian Jordan, Brian Jordan. <laughs> as they called him on the ACC oh. network. And is he from Mountain Gap? Like that, that's special? a whole other story, you know. God. Yeah, and how about uh, did you catch at the very opening of the broadcast? I, I put this on our message boards. Uh, Dan O'Brien, I think, was the uh, play-by-play. Dave O'Brien. Dave O'Brien was the play-by-play guy, and he said something about how the Cavaliers were looking to avenge last year's loss to the Hokies in, in 2019. And then later he was talking about how, or maybe it was the other guy, was talking about how, oh, oh Justin Fuente thought he was going to have one of the best secondaries in the country this year, and, and then they gave up over 500 yards passing to Boston College's backup quarterback last week. Nope. <laughs> I mean, these are people hired by the ACC. They're supposed to know ACC teams and ACC players. Yeah, I'm sure this league's making a ton of money. Can't wait for that. It's, it's a legit question. Is that is that the worst ACC network broadcast you've seen? It's you pro- probably. So what's but, the reference about uh, the, the Atlanta Braves? What did they oh, say? The Bri- Brian Jordan used to play for the Atlanta Braves. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, uh, he used to play for the Atlanta Falcons, too. He was like a... He was a slightly less good version of Deion Sanders. <laughs> Deion he, was Sanders. A, he was a DB in the NFL and, and an outfielder for the Braves and the Cardinals, I think, too. So how did we get on this tangent? What was the question? Uh, was this the most complete <laughs> game Virginia Tech has played all year? And let me ask you this. Well, they, Maybe, did, they did muff a punt on special teams. Um, defense was good. Offense was good. So, you know, I'm not a guy that does a very good well, job of retaining stuff from week to week. If, so. if, you, had, if you told me before the game that – they're gonna to have to go to their backup punter, who, by the way, I didn't know who he was. Right. I didn't did not know who Tech's backup punter was. You told me they're they'd have to go to their backup punter, and their tight end would be returning punts. I would say, okay, this isn't gonna go well, right? right. There's gonna be a something ha- something bad's gonna happen on special teams. So it did, right? So it's not a surprise, but they were able to overcome it. So I think it was probably complete considering the personnel they had on special teams. I, I would say it's the most complete game since since maybe NC State. That's that's you know <clears throat> let me follow up with this. Was this the best win of the season for Virginia Tech? Hmm. I hear the Jeopardy theme. Uh what would beat it? Um it, it's arguably the best win. How did what did NC State wind up with? I don't think they they're were in like, the, they're in the top twenty five of the college football yeah. playoff rankings. So yeah, they're, they're good. They're, they're seven and three. Um, so so uh, Tech beat a better team when they beat NC State. Um, except but, NC State was still playing Bailey Hockman, who had a terrible. Correct. Game. Uh, you know there, there are so many ways to look at that game. NC State was playing their backup quarterback. They had no film on Virginia Tech's new right. defensive scheme right. and all that. 
but at the same time, NC State had a game under their belt, and Tech didn't. Uh, I think Tech was better this year when they were riding a wave of emotion. You know, they went into that NC State game. You know, they'd already had their first two games canceled for, for a variety of reasons, and they were pretty much the, the last team to play outside of the Pac-10 teams and, and Big Ten. Uh, they took a lot of heat over, you know, all the COVID issues in the program, and I think they were finally just – they were ready to get out there and show what they could do. And then the UVA game, they took a lot of heat <clears> – <throat> for going 0-4 the previous four weeks. UVA talked so much trash to Virginia Tech on, on social media when Tech had Early to in the, season. the game yeah. earlier in the season. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I just think Tech's a better, better football team when they find a way, when it's an emotionally charged game. Now, you, you can argue that, you know, every game should be an emotionally charged game. Yeah, that's true to a certain extent, but, the, like, that's not – it's also not realistic. Like, you can't tell me that Clemson was emotionally charged to play Virginia Tech. They did right? not look emotionally charged. No, no. <laughs> so no team out there plays consistently from an emotion standpoint every year. It's just some teams have more talent than others, and you can't tell it as much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Virginia Tech played the best in their two emotionally charged games. Well, I'm curious because Virginia Tech outscored Virginia 24 to nothing in the second in the quarter. Second quarter. Yeah. What was the moment that you realized that the Hokies were going to win the game? Uh, when Khalil Herbert, well, probably what sealed it for me, it had to have been the Tavion Robinson mm. touchdown. You know, the Khalil Herbert run was nice, but then when they tacked on another touchdown just a few minutes later, and, and what did that score make? It is that the one that made it twenty-seven to seven? The Tavion was the. That's final when touchdown. I started thinking. Eh, that's probably it. That's that's what I started thinking, and then I also remembered twenty-nine to seven. Yeah, uh, but I, actually, I didn't feel the same way. Uh, I don't. I don't remember what I felt in nineteen ninety-eight. To be honest with you, I, I, well, I, I do. I do feel like. All right, the ninety-eight defense, tech defense was really, really good. Yeah, that's true. And, you uh, would have thought they'd been able to hold on to that. Uh, it seems more likely the twenty twenty tech defense would be would would blow a big lead like that than the that's 98 a solid point. defense. Yeah, um, yeah. and. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I did tweet that Dwight Vick at halftime and said, Dwight, tell everybody about 1998 or something like that. <laughs> He's like, that was like, this game's not over yet. <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs> so, at halftime, you're feeling pretty good. And you, you go back to that earlier part of the second quarter, though. And, Chris, you, you wrote about this in your article, which is, by the way, up on TechSideline.com right now, CC's article that he wrote uh, yesterday on TSL, that it felt like the turning point potentially in this game, Will, was when James Mitchell – Muffed the punt. Virginia got the ball in the red zone. Delaney misses the field goal. At that Hokies. point, it was at that point it was ten seven Hokies, right? Yeah, Correct. and and it looked like they were about to gift UVA a field goal or a touchdown, you know, and and they didn't. Uh, I think I think UVA gained three yards on three plays and then missed a field goal. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, that field goal looked on TV like it was good. Yeah, that, well, that was interesting. I actually looked away after the field goal and then. I looked back at the TV when I heard the ref saying no, or the announcer saying no good. Yeah. I was surprised. But. So, by, by the way, in case you weren't aware, um, the announcers were at home. 
So uh, O'Brien was at his house. Tim and, Hasselbeck and, was at his house. And Hasselbeck was at his and house. And I actually think they're a terrific crew. I know there might have been a couple slip up, but Dave O'Brien's he, one of the best play-by-play guys in yeah, the history. Was, and I enjoy Hasselbeck's NFL coverage. You know, so They, they, they were pretty bad on Saturday. They, they were ill-prepared. There's a difference between yeah, being bad, bad and being yeah. ill-prepared. I actually called the game, so I was not listening as much. But, uh, so <laughs> yeah. I need to go back and watch it myself. Oh, goodness. But, um, it's, uh, hmm, let it's me transition to this. Chris, I'm, I'm going to ask for your expertise here because we're going to talk about the offense. We're going to talk about the defense. There's a lot of highlights what unit was more important in the win for virginia tech the offense or the defense because that's where we're starting i actually would say defense this time I think around so. yeah. i mean 33 to 15 um so you held uva to two touchdowns but it really wasn't the amount of points in so much as the the key stops that they made uh the stop after the muffed punt for example was huge uh the stop after UVA successfully faked the punt. If it, uh, it, it feels like when those types of things would have happened to Virginia Tech and other games this year, things would have just started going downhill, right? Uh, the collapse point, I guess, so to speak. But Tech didn't collapse in either either case. You know, they could have gone down 14-10 to 10 after that muff punt. Instead, they got a stop and then went down and kicked a field goal, and then it's 13-7 to 7 Tech. Mm-hmm. Um Start of the second half, it's twenty-seven to seven. UVA fakes that punt. If they'd gone down and scored a touchdown, it would have been twenty-seven to fourteen, and you're sweating a little bit. And instead, Tech got the stop, kicked another field goal. It's thirty to seven. Game's yeah, over, like, and, and that was halfway through the third quarter. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. I mean, the that was a slow game. Like there were only three total possessions in the first quarter. Right, UVA had one position in the first quarter, and that was it. Yep, and, know, and Fuente it, talked about it after the game. He said, "He said I think our defense has played better the last two weeks because we've intentionally tried to shorten the game offensively. Yeah, and and the defense they don't have to play as many plays. They're not under as much stress. Um, so that's that's a that's a game management type thing. I, I think most most offensive minded coaches." don't have a great grasp on that. They just think, oh, let's go out and score. Score, score, points. score. Right. Uh, they don't think about how it affects you defensively and does actually trying to score. Yeah, score, actually scoring on every drive would help you win the football game, but really trying to score on every time and trying to run a fast-paced offense. Does that actually, for some, for some teams, that would actually – impede their ability to win the football game and that's certainly the case for virginia tech i think if tech tried to play that style it would make us a worse football team so i i think uh he he's good at at, at figure it management like that about figuring out how the offense can help the defense well he has a reputation as an offensive coach but he's always viewed the program holistically right you know yeah Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong came into the game. His last two games, over 400-plus combined yards of total offense. No Virginia quarterback has ever done that before. It was a program record. He finishes 25 of 46 through the air, 259 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, 15 attempts on the ground for 23 yards. Mm. We talked about their running backs in the preview podcast. Shane Simpson, two carries. Wayne Talapapa, two carries. Keaton Thompson, two carries before he left with an injury. Will, what did Virginia Tech do right defensively to slow down Brennan Armstrong and that UVA offense? Oh, I have no idea because I'm not an X's and O's guy, but, <laughs> but they did play 
with emotion. They played physically. The defensive backs in particular uh, were were physical. The most physical game of Diablo's career. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> where's that? Where's that been? Can we get that every game? Yeah. Um, so there was that. And I think the other side of the coin is one of the things I was thinking about this morning was really what exceptional plays did UVA make? They lack playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Like their receivers are solid, but there's not a spectacular their quarterback's guy solid. There. Uh, their running backs are. I don't even know if I describe them as mediocre. I just don't think they're very good. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really racking my brain. They did nothing. I mean, they're they're a completely mediocre team from a talent standpoint. Completely mediocre. Um, like Broncos, I think he's done a good job getting the most he can out of the right. program, but. That's still a team that they they don't have playmakers at all on that team. No, and, and I'd have to Except say that, that's that, it. that big freshman receiver who uh, right Lavelle Davis Jr. Catch. Yeah, he was a playmaker for him this year. Billy Kemp had nine receptions for seventy three yards, but Davis Jr. just three receptions. Uh, Tony Polgen had that touchdown catch, and Terrell Jana was held to just three well, receptions. But Billy Kemp has had a you know a good career there, but the, the problem with Billy Kemp is he's the same size as me, and he's a possession receiver. Like if you're five nine one seventy at the F- FBS level, you need to be a speed receiver. You need to be a big play threat. And instead, he's he's very much a run a six yard curl, catch it, and get tackled. Well, nine catches, seventy two yards. Exactly. That speaks for itself. Exactly. Um, so that's just it's just lack lack playmakers on that side of the ball. Um, I think Tech is getting better defensively, though. Um, looking at their preliminary grades. I stress that these are preliminary. Looking at their early grades on PFF, and the Hokies have had three of their best four coverage games of the season in three of their last four games. Miami, Clemson, and now UVA. The Pitt game being the outlier there. I think Pitt was a bad matchup for Virginia Tech. Just it is what it is. So I, I think Tech is... They played more man coverage against Miami so they've maybe mixed a little bit more of that back in. But I also think their zone defense is much improved. Playing zone defense is hard, especially if you don't get to practice it. <laughs> I mean, doing anything is hard if uh, if you don't get to practice. But, you know, it, it was a scheme change, a slight philosophical change, and then they couldn't practice. I mean, they weren't going to be very good yeah. knowing all of that. So I, I think once they finally got, got used to – doing what it is they were being asked to do, they started playing better, um, which they'd been able to have a spring or a preseason. We might be uh, talking about different results this season. And I thought the defense, the, the zone coverage in particular, looked looked rough on UVA's first possession. And, and you know, we talked in the last podcast about death by a thousand tiny cuts and oh, barely yeah. picking up the first down. And UVA on their first possession picked up three first downs, and they picked them up by one yard, two yards, and three yards. So they were they were just barely getting them. And Tech was doing the same thing, right? That well, was, Tech that was, was doing it by zero yards. Oh man, it was crazy. They how, were catching the ball right on right the line. On the sticks. It was crazy how both teams were doing the exact same thing in the first quarter. Uh, and they, the the two teams combined to convert eight of their first nine third downs. One more point about the defense is. Uh, you know, Dorian Strong is back healthy now. Yeah. He had strep throat there for a while, um, lost some weight, but he played almost every snap the other night in place of Breon Murray. And I think Strong is the 12th highest rated corner in the ACC, which is darned impressive for a true in freshman. In a 15-team league this year. Right. Bre- Breon Murray is actually, 
as actually PFF doesn't count Notre Dame, so I'm not sure. Oh, ah, okay. But anyway, uh, Brian Murray is actually the lowest rated cornerback in the ACC this year. Really, in the entire league? Yeah, I wrote that last week in my Inside the Numbers, I think, and wow. uh, the whole league. And I just think when you replace the lowest rated cornerback in the league with the 12th best cornerback in the league, then you're, <laughs> you're going to have gonna a better cover performance, better. right? Yeah. So I think that had a lot to do with it as well. You know, thinking about 2020 and how we, we've talked about it throughout the entire year, you know, Virginia Tech is supposed to have Caleb Farley. They're supposed to have Jermaine Waller, two of the best cornerbacks in the ACC, maybe of the country. Something good from something bad, Dorian Strong. What a future he's going to have here over the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's just a really gifted, natural football player. Uh, plays stronger than he looks. Still really, really skinny. You know, how far he goes is going to depend on how big he can get. Yep. Um, he's got to, you know, the, he's got to work with the strength coaches and the nutritionists to find his highest weight in which he doesn't lose any athleticism, right? Uh, I don't I don't know what that is, but, you know, I know if he's if he takes his, his diet seriously and hits the weight room hard, um, then he can go a long way for Virginia Tech for sure. I know he got up to 181 at one point, um, but then he got sick and dropped a bunch of weight. So uh, I don't so I don't know what he is right now, but it certainly doesn't look 181. Right. Um, but you know I, I, he's got certainly he has the frame, so I think he'll be fine. But I'm very impressed with him this year. Oh, you know Virginia Tech's best cornerback this season for sure. Yeah, had an interception uh, for a turn of 27 yards in the win over Virginia. All right, so we're talking about the defense first here, recapping the 33-15 win for Virginia Tech over Virginia. Then we'll get to the offense. want to spend some time talking about Divine Diablo. We, You guys mentioned that he played a terrific game on Saturday. He finished tied for the team leading tackles with six. He had the interception that was the dagger in the fourth quarter. And listening to Coach Justin Fuente speak about Diablo postgame, you know, just really made you, I feel like, appreciate him more um, and hearing the way his teammates speak about him. Will, what kind of legacy and impact do you think Diablo leaves as a guy who came in as a receiver, transitioned to a safety? What kind of impact do you think he's had on this program? Um, <laughs> he, he has the impact of a guy who stayed and stayed committed to the program, which, you know, that's – in some ways it's been kind of hard to come by the last few years, you know, and, and he has been a, he's been a guy consistently like coming into the season, you expected, you know, before Caleb Farley opted out, you expected Farley, Jermaine Waller, Divine Diablo and uh, Devin Hunter. And you got one of those, you yeah. know, um, and, and what if you hadn't had that one guy? Uh, you'd be playing a lot of J.R. Walker, who who the one game he started had a rough game. Um, correct. That's that's who the other safety would have been. I guess. Yeah. You <laughs> know, we, we we don't even know because Divine Diablo has been there and been <laughs> consistent. You know, and and I feel like one thing I remember about Cam Chancellor is that Cam was a good college player, but he was he was a much better maybe too strongly for but he's a much better NFL player. Ooh. Played strong safety in the NFL. Yeah. Supposed to well, his it. natural position. Yeah, he had his best year in college when he played Rover as a sophomore on the yeah. short side. Yeah. But. And I remember in particular Tech was locking horns with Alabama in a game and when Alabama needed a first down, they went after 
Cam with Chancellor. the slot receiver on the wide side of the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that wasn't his thing, but he turned out to be a really good pro. And uh, and you hope that's what's in store for Diablo. Now, if you look at his, he he did play physical the other night, but he has, although he looks like Cam Chancellor, he has not been playing as physical as Cam played. That hit he had on uh, Keaton Thompson, though, knocked him out. Was, of the was that a yes. Cam Chancellor ass yes. hit? Yes, yes, yeah. and and it was clean too. And I watched that replay. There was an official standing right there watching it, you know, and and the official never flinched. But it was a shoulder hit, you know. It, it was it was not. He didn't leave with the head or any of that stuff. And Thompson, who is technically UVA's backup quarterback, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Number ninety nine. He was a big part of their offense. Yeah, you know, and, and, and that was the end and, of that. Yeah, Chancellor just knocked Chance. I just called him Chancellor. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Diablo knocked him right out of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, in this era of where you know you can look at certain guys and see that there's not complete off season buy in when it comes to nutrition and strength and conditioning, he is the direct opposite. Yeah, you know some some guys require a heavy amount of coaching and so much as like you have to be looking over their shoulders all the time to make sure they're doing the right thing to make sure they're eating the right foods to make sure they are in the weight room as much as they need to be and things like that which obviously is hard to do in a year of covid so that was tech's issue this year is they don't have enough guys who do it on their own yeah diablo does it on his own right you don't have to tell that's diablo right he talked thing. about when he was out did he actually? Oh God, he was. Did talking, he admit that he tested positive? Is that public yeah, records? Yes, okay. Yes. Uh, and he talked about how, man, I was so anxious. There's nothing to do. I just sit around my room and do push-ups do all push day ups, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But but to me, you know, a lot of people forget that he came in as a receiver mm-hmm. and and he hurt himself as a receiver in a meaningless game. Do you remember? Was no, it like no, a win? No, uh, he hurt himself. He I played mean, he played receiver as a true freshman in 2016. And then got switched to free safety in the off season, and came out and had a really good game against West Virginia, playing a lot in 2017. And oh. then it was the old Dominion game. He broke his foot on an interception, making an interception. See, I remembered him catching was, the ball, yep, thinking yep, he was a receiver. Yep. It, was, he, it was a really athletic interception. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, that dude can cover some and then ground. He hurt himself. Yeah, yeah, but some injuries can be beneficial if you know if he hadn't had that injury. He wouldn't be on the team right now. Like he wouldn't have redshirted that year. He would have been done after. Oh, last he wouldn't year. be on this year's team. Right, right, okay. right, right, right. So, and it's just like so. Go back to the 2004 Virginia Tech Hokies. Jim Davis, Jim Davis, Jim Davis, and Eric Green had both gotten hurt previously. They both played as Tech as true freshmen in 2000, but later got hurt. I think Jim Davis like. He hurt himself golfing. Golfing. He, tore he, tore, he tore a pec muscle golfing. Playing golf. That sounds really that, painful. That, that sounds horrible, especially doing it playing. What I picture – now, he never told this story, but what I picture is him going to tee off, and he completely whiffs, and everybody starts laughing at him, and in the process, he's hurt himself. He's hurt himself, right. I'm not saying that's what happened. but And, and one of those years, I think, and Eric Green tore his ACL, I think, in 2002. Neither one of those guys would have been on the team as redshirt seniors in, in 2004, 2004 if they hadn't been hurt. And had to redshirt early in their career. So sometimes, like injuries, they, they stink for the short term. But if you if you're proper properly rehabilitated, and it gives you a redshirt year that you wouldn't have otherwise had, uh, sometimes they can be beneficial long term. And that's a case of Diablo. We've not had that guy this year, and we needed him. 
right? He's he was that Virginia, is very true. He was Virginia Tech's best defensive player this year, most consistent best defensive player. And and and, and sometimes it helps to get off the treadmill and stand back and watch everybody else run on it for a while. Yep. You know oh. the, the the rhetorical treadmill. We do have a comment uh, from somebody asking to get your thoughts on Chamari Connor and the game that he played. I thought he played maybe his most consistent game of the season. Went tackled hard, um, was good in coverage. You know, Billy Kemp, I think it was Billy Kemp got him one time last year up in Charlottesville where that rings a bell. Kemp yeah. was in the slot yeah. and he just ran a little ran hitch right pattern. Past him. And took and and Connor just didn't tackle him in the yeah. open field, and he tackled everything that was around him the other night, man. Yeah, yes. I think that sums it up. And and, and I really like Jamari Connor. Yeah. I, I know that he has struggled at times, particularly in coverage. And we we've talked about how he might be a really good football player without a position, you know. But but the thing I've always liked about him is when he gets his hands on you, you're going down. Mm-hmm. The question is, can he get his hands on you? Right. A couple of other notes in the box score. Amari Barno had two tackles for loss. He was tied for the team lead in tackles with six. Dax and Hollywood how about that, that? He got a sack for the – man, the speed on that play. You know, that, that, that screen pass UVA mm-hmm. ran for a first down, they got called back for a hold. He – he uh, excuse me, he ran down the uh, the ball carrier. I think it was – I think it was Kemp, actually. I think it was a wide receiver screen. And he ran him down some way down the field. You know, that, that guy is some kind of athlete, and he plays really, really hard. There was another play where they ran. Oh, it was a little toss to a jet man coming in motion, and the offensive tackle set the edge on Barno, and it was, it was a one-on-one situation, and he just beat – he was able to hold his ground. And he's – against that big offensive tackle, he's much stronger than he looks. Right. Um, like, like uh, he should have, with his size, you would think he would get, have gotten blown off the ball in that situation. But he stuffed that offensive tackle and stuffed the run. And I think he ended up going for a three-yard loss. And I'm telling you, man, if you get that guy up to 255, he is a definite NFL player. Yeah, um, and, and his, his speed is reminiscent of uh, Daddy Nicholas. You know, Daddy was was really more of an edge defender. They played him at defensive end a lot. Um and I remember, I remember cutting up video one time. Um, I believe it was against Boston College. The Eagles were down inside their own ten, and Nicholas rushed in and had a quarterback hurry or very close to it. The pass was completed, and it was probably just some sort of screen out of the backfield or something. Guy starts running upfield, and Nicholas went from rushing the quarterback to sprinting downfield and making the tackle on like past the fifty-yard line. <laughs> it's a really remarkable piece of film to watch a defensive end running like a sprinter mm. and catching a receiver or running back from behind. That was Jacob Yates uh, chiming in there. Thanks for the uh, comment on Chamari Connor. Last thing on the defense. It's amazing. We've spent almost a half hour talking about the defense because there was so much good in this 33-15 to win for Virginia Tech over Virginia defensively. I want to talk about Justin Hamilton for a minute because the regular season is over. Uh, I, I, I felt like for someone who monitors social media and the boards early, uh, or boards often during games that Justin Hamilton received a lot of criticism early in the year from the fan base. What can you say about the job that Hamilton has done, given the circumstances in his first year as a defensive coordinator? I think he did fine. You, 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 there's one thing you could negatively judge, and that's I think maybe it took him a little bit too long to maybe mix in some more man coverage. Um, but other than that. I mean, 
It's a completely new defensive scheme. He lost his best four football players. And they are? Uh, Caleb Farley, Jermaine, Jermaine Waller, Waller. Uh, Deshaun Crawford, and I'm going to say he lost Rayshard Ashby because Rayshard Ashby wasn't, Just the, wasn't, same, the, same, wasn't the same guy. New, so he had to install a new scheme with no practice, basically. No spring practice. A fall practice that was you know, kind of there and kind of not. And then his best four football players either gone or not themselves. Um you can't really judge Justin Hamilton. Well, I, I think that, that's that's awful. Um, I mean, just well, I'm going to bring up the name Chad Morris here about how all Virginia Tech fans think Chad Morris is the best offensive coordinator in the history of football, right? And Chad Morris was at Auburn this year in his first year at Auburn, I believe. Correct, because he got let go as head coach right. of Arkansas. Right, and. Auburn's offense stunk this year with Chad Morris. Yeah. They didn't get a spring practice. Now, so that's probably because they didn't get spring practice. Not because Chad Morris is a bad football was a, is a bad offensive coordinator. He certainly didn't have bad offenses at Clemson and things like that. So LSU's defense was horrible this year under Bo Pelini, one of the best defensive coordinators in college football history. You know, the, this when he was head coach at Nebraska, that was the some of the toughest, most disciplined defenses you'll ever see. And they were awful at LSU this year because he didn't get to install a scheme in the spring. Uh, so it was a, it's the same thing for Justin Hamilton. I, I will add this, too. If, if you want to criticize, and this is just my take, if you want to criticize Justin Hamilton as a, as a defensive coordinator, you need to lump Tracy Clays in there, too. Former defensive coordinator at least former once. power five head coach. Former power five head coach, former defense coordinator at Washington State and and maybe other places. He gets paid half a million a year. He's the second highest paid assistant on the staff, correct? Hamilton six hundred, uh Clay's. I think 500. you're right. I think Clay's as a regular assistant makes more money than Cornelson does as offensive coordinator. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um and and the perception is that one of the reasons he was brought in was to bring Hamilton along. So if you want to criticize Justin Hamilton, where, where's Tracy Clays and all this? What was his role? Was, was that his role? That's what we thought. Who knows? We didn't get to talk to the guy. Never met the guy. Never even heard the man talk. Right. You know, and that's, that's a whole other topic. You right. know, you haven't seen much of Daryl Tapp and Hamilton himself. You've seen Cornelson once. You know, it's, it's all Justin Fuente week after week after week, press conference after press conference after press conference. Right. So it, it's hard to know exactly who's doing what. But that's just my take. I think you need to lump Clay's in there with with Hamilton if you want to talk about how the defense is run. Because he should be the voice of experience going either from the booth if he's up in the booth. Here's what I see, Coach. You need to do this and that, talking to Hamilton on the sideline. You know, it shouldn't take weeks to make changes when you've got an experienced guy like that in your staff. What Chris says is true, but I think there's also another layer to it that what kind of advice was he getting from Clay's and what was – was Tracy Clay's role? Virginia Tech takes back the Commonwealth Cup, thirty-three to fifteen, the final score on Saturday. We're going to step aside for a break here on episode one hundred fifty-eight of the Tech Sideline Podcast. But when we come back, we talk about Braxton Burmeister, Khalil Herbert in the Virginia Tech offense. Don't go anywhere. You're watching and listening to episode one hundred fifty-eight of the Tech Sideline Podcast.
Paul Fitzpatrick writes in on the YouTube live. Did I just get on an elevator? Question mark. Yes, we have some elevator yeah. music that we are proud of <laughs> and that we absolutely love. Hope you enjoyed. The, <laughs> what is he talking about? Uh, hope you enjoyed the time out as we welcome so, you back. So let, let's ask Malcolm. Malcolm, where did you get that music? <laughs> Malcolm starts non-copyright elevator music. There you go. That's why he's the best producer. Clever there, fellow. <laughs> Absolutely got to love it. Welcome back in episode 158, Tech Sideline Podcast presented by Campus Emporium and the Southeast Regional Training Center alongside of Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes. Recapping Virginia Tech's 33-15 to win over Virginia on Saturday. Just spent a half hour talking about the defense, and there is a lot to talk about on the offensive side of the football. And let's start with this. We did not know who was going to be starting at quarterback for Virginia Tech going into this game. Hendon Hooker had trouble getting warm on the sideline against Clemson. Braxton Burmeister played, then he got injured. Coach Justin Fuente said during the week he felt like both quarterbacks would be available to play. Burmeister got the start, and when it was all said and done, he never pro, came out. pro football focus graded Braxton Burmeister with a grade of 91.5. He was the highest grading quarterback of any college football quarterback this past week around the country around the country will were you surprised hmm. that burmeister started in place of hendon hooker i was mildly surprised yeah i was on i was on the big dog sports talk with rick watson on friday and rick rick said on the air he said yeah yeah i think burmeister gets a start and i'm going no um I, I'm, I'm not i'm not that's, that's not completely silly because he played really well in the previous game i thought against clemson better than he had played earlier in the year, particularly in the passing game. Now, he's always been a good runner, but I thought his, his passing game performance against Clemson was was a lot better than what we had seen. So I just thought well, – so I finally – I think I wound up telling Rick, well, you know, that's maybe, but at the very least he's going to play a lot. Um, I, I would have to – so to put my foot in the ground and pick a direction, I will say that if I was surprised by one thing, it's that he played the entire game and never came out. Not necessarily that he started, but that he never came out. I I wasn't surprised. Um, as we got deeper and deeper into Saturday, there was more and more smoke that Burmeister. Was yeah, somebody start. texted Chris probably and said I, Burmeister was going to start. I don't think no, nobody texted me. Hmm. Um, it's just that seemed to be the way things were trending. The way things were trending about people. You know, you don't want to believe everything you see on the internet, but that's what everybody on the internet was saying, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have started him too. Um, the, the hooker thing worries me. Um. For Hooker, for obvious reasons, but for Tech, too. Like, if the official diagnosis, which we heard it was, was anxiety plus the cold, you know, anxiety in a quarterback is not ideal. Right? Um, he always seems so... Hooker always seems... His facial demeanor, his body language, he always seems like a cool, collected yeah. guy. Yeah. But maybe he's not inside, on the inside, Yeah, you know? I don't know. So that's a little bit scary. What, 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 um, I would have been hesitant to put him out there a week after that happening to him. And there may be a lot going on that we just that we, don't know about. That we about. don't know about. Um, Burmeister, highest-rated performance. Um if you'll remember from last week's preview, I noted that UVA's pass coverage grade was dead last in the ACC, and the only ACC team to grade out lower than 50. Their, right. pa their pass defense isn't just failing. They're, like, barely getting any of the answers on the quizzes right. You know? And, and, and they're, they're, to your point, there was room to work. 
And, and if Burmeister <laughs> has a weakness, it's that his arm is not strong. Right. The ball stays in the air a long time. Um, so it's good that and the coverage is not snug. The, the, the pass protection was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also, on a couple of times, you could see him going through his progressions. And like the Tavion Robinson touchdown. Yes. I mean, I thought he started from his right and went all the way to the left. And I think Tavion was the third read. And I, I and, and then, then when he saw him zing, he threw it immediately. I just think we haven't seen a tech quarterback do that all year. <laughs> so that's the single uh, most exciting thing to come out of his performance yeah, is watching for, him scan so the field. Good things happen when your quarterback can get past his first read. And Burmeister, again, man, we I don't think your average person realizes that that guy got here last season, practiced in the tech offense for two weeks. NCAA ruled him ineligible, so he goes to the scout team. Then he missed spring practice. Then August practice starts, and everybody's got COVID, and every practice is getting shut down. He gets thrown into the fire, basically running an offense that he had hardly practiced. Yeah, practice is important. <laughs> okay, we talk about practice, despite man. what Allen Iverson told us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that he's a better player well, now Alan than he Iver- would. Allen Iverson played a hundred games a year. You know, Braxton Burmeister yeah. doesn't get to play a hundred <laughs> yeah, games. That's, a year. that's true. You're right. Um, when you're playing hundred games a year, you don't really need to practice. You know, yeah, it's true. Um, so, I think from the, it makes sense that Burmeister was better at the end of the season than he was at the beginning. And it makes sense that the Tech defense was better at the end of the season than it was at the beginning. Because if there's two groups or individuals or whatever that needed reps, it was it was those two. And they didn't get them because they, they couldn't practice. And once they finally got some games under their belt and more time in the system and everything like that, they started playing better. So a so couple, couple of thoughts to add to all that. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's good to hear that grade is that high because at one point in the game, and I actually went on the message board and I said, should Braxton be keeping some of these, some of these balls you know, in the read option? And I thought about that later and I thought, no, because UVA runs kind of a kind of a three-four setup. They bring a lot of edge pressure. Their best defenders are on the edge, and I did what one of the plays where I thought Barmester should have kept it. I went back and I rewatched it, and no, he shouldn't have kept it because the UVA defender was waiting on him. Um, so uh, I think he probably made a lot of the right decisions there, especially based on his grade. And the other thing that nobody's talking about is Virginia Tech's very first possession was. Uh, was a field goal drive, correct? Yes. Yeah. There there was a play, a third and four, where the rusher came in from the def- the left side of the defense, Burmeister's right, untouched. And Burmeister ducked under him, ran forward, ran to the side, sprinted out to the side, and completed exactly a four-yard pass for the yeah. first down. That was a phenomenal play that nobody's talking about. And he made it, and that drive kept going, you know, and um, – He's. I'm, I'm trying not to get too excited. I would. I would give him one piece of advice: hit the weight room, put on some size, because if you're going to be the main quarterback in this offense, and we don't know what's going to happen in the off season, <clears throat> if you're going to be the main quarterback in this offense, yeah, you're going to have to run the football, and you need to be bigger and stronger, and that'll help with arm strength also to get a little bit more pop on the I ball. I would say the same thing to the other quarterback. <clears throat> yes, to, to all of them. But uh, just just watching that game against Virginia, I think we saw some some things to build on. 
15 of 22 through the air, 212 yards, and a touchdown for Burmeister on the ground, seven carries for 36 yards and a long of 12. Now, Khalil Herbert was the story of the offense. You guys both said you thought he could go over the century mark. Well, he did that before halftime. Right. 20 carries, 162 yards, and a touchdown for Khalil Juice Herbert. He has six 100-yard games on the season. And last week against Clemson, eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark. He's the program's first 1,000-yard-plus rusher since Trayvon McMillan did it in 2015. So let me jump in here and add another stat. I looked at this last night. Um, somebody somewhere said that he leads the country in all-purpose yardage. You go and look it up on the NCAA site, and he's listed something like ninth. But that's all-purpose yards per game. Mm. If you just sort it by total all-purpose yards – he, he does have the most in the country. Gosh, if he hadn't played that one snap against Liberty. Well, yeah, yards, yeah, that hurt the yards per game. Yeah. But he has, uh, he has played 11 games, so he's piled up a lot of pure yards. The guys that are currently ranked ahead of him in yards per game have played three and four games. You know, they're Pac-12 guys and, and Big Ten guys and that sort of thing. So, yeah. so he leads the country in total all-purpose yardage. You so, know, is the, the strange thing about Herbert is – I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I'm sorry. No. I didn't want to make this point. He had the really long run against UVA. Um, he actually didn't have as good a game as he normally did. His vision wasn't as good this time around. You don't think so? No. Some of those some of those outside runs that people were complaining about were actually him cutting them outside, and they were designed inside runs, and they were there. And he's just – it's times he cut, he's kind of fall. He has – he's had, had some great outside runs when things have broken down and he's gotten to the outside, but he's fallen in love with that a little bit. And he tried it four or five times against UVA when he shouldn't have, and it led to well, losses. Well, maybe it gets back to what I said about they defend the perimeter better and, and he didn't have that locked in. And, maybe not, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but there were a couple times where he took two- and three-yard losses when if he had just kept it on the inside, he could have at least had minimal gains. Like So like his, his PFF grade wasn't as good. This the, uh, from a running standpoint this week. Have you got uh, his his stats up? Like, how many yards did he lose rushing on the day? He, he lost four yards on the day. He gained 166. He netted 166. Which, which for him is a lot because he only had, like, lost 18 rushing yards right, the entire right, right. season. And there was a whole lot of no gains in there, too. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, he left some yards on the table, to be honest with you. And not to mention Jalen Holston's got a lot of the carries yeah. down the stretch for those mm-hmm. those tough yards. Holston's getting there. He looks a lot better. I want to I get to Holston in just a second. I want to ask this question real quick because okay. Holston down the stretch has been very important for this rushing attack. Chris, in the win on Saturday, though, who was more important for Virginia Tech's offense, Burmeister or Herbert? I would say Burmeister um, because I don't know – not knowing exactly Hendon Hooker's – condition i don't know for a hundred percent fact that he could have come in and done as good a job as burmeister if you if you took out herbert and put in holston you probably don't get the long touchdown run but you you would still had a competent running game right um so yeah i think burmeister is the answer there for me yeah the 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 long run that uh her that herbert had early i'm not sure holston can make that one the mm-hmm. 38 39 yard or whatever that was right. but i mean that's a solid point and and to me, there were there were a few times, particularly early, where Burmeister kept moving the chains. Um, what was? Do you have it in front of you? What was uh, Virginia Tech on third downs? Let's see. Is I, have I think in the second com. quarter they were oh. six of seven or something. That's at like one that. point. I know Virginia Tech was yeah. seven of nine. I think they might have been like four or four in the first quarter. 
let's see, as I run through oh, HokieSports.com. No, maybe not because they had to kick a field goal in the first drive. Virginia yeah. Tech had 20 first downs. UVA had 19 first downs. Let's see if I can. Third down conversions. The Hokies were 9 of 16. That's remember remember early in the season where that was the Achilles Hill, right? Yeah, yeah, that was something they were not doing well was converting third downs. And and I looked, and Virginia Tech averaged something like nine yards on first down, about three and a half on second down, and like nine yards on third down. Mm-hmm. So, very nice. Let's talk about Jalen Holston now, who <clears throat> sort of broke onto the scene against Miami with two touchdowns, right? He's somebody who battled injury last season, missed the majority of last year, had his two touchdowns against Miami. 14 carries for 58 yards. And again, down the stretch in the fourth quarter when the Hokies needed a burn clock, it was Holston as the featured back and not Khalil Herbert. Chris, bigger impact this year, Raheem Blackshear or Jalen Holston? Blackshear's impact won't necessarily show up in the stats. It's because of how he aligns and manipulates defensive formations and things like that, which opens some things up. Um, yeah, Holston was used so spot so spotty. I think he had a good game against NC State. He had a great game against Miami. He was really good against UVA the other night. But how many other games did he actually touch the ball? Right. So I guess I would still go Blackshear. But when Holston did get the ball, it was impressive. Um did he go through senior day? He did. I think he went through senior day ceremonies. I would have to scroll through um, my Twitter feed and see who was listed. That, that, that doesn't necessarily mean he is. That doesn't necessarily right. mean that he's now the, not Now, the back, seniors but. who didn't go through senior day ceremonies, they're definitely planning to come back, I guess. Guys like Belmore and Deshaun Crawford, thank goodness. I would I would beg Jalen Holston to come he back. He was not year. on the list, as I'm looking at Mike Barber's tweet, he is not on the list of the 14 seniors that were recognized on senior day. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm sitting here. So so let's run down the list really quick. The ones that participated in the senior ceremony were Rayshard Ashby, Oscar Bradburn, Austin Cannon, Rich Cummings, who I believe is a walk-on wide receiver, mm-hmm. Divine Diablo, Khalil Herbert, Jared Hewitt, Changa Hodge, Zachariah Hoyt, Brian Johnson, Justice Reed, Austin Rosa. He's a walk-on. walk-on. I don't know what position. I can't remember what position he was. And Tyrell Smith, of course. Ah, Tyrell. Grandpa. So, yes, no Jalen Holston listed. I, I haven't bounced that off the list of guys who are seniors to no. see who's missing. And just because J- they participated doesn't J- mean Jaylen, they're not coming back. They can still back. come back. Yeah. Jalen might be – I think he was listed as a senior before the, before the season started, but technically he should have been a redshirt junior this year. Holston's a redshirt um, junior. Okay, good. So they finally updated that. At the, the beginning of the year, they were actually listing him that's as a, a senior. That's according to a comment from Ryan Hunley. Oh, I mean, YouTube I know show. he's a redshirt junior, but Tech was actually listing him as a senior. So maybe it was I, – I was thinking maybe it was one of those things where he was just like, you know what, this is going to be the last year no matter what. Which is So I assume that was why they were listing him as a senior, like on the preseason roster and everything. Interesting. Uh, okay, so that lets me know that he's – I guess is planning on coming back next year. Um, I would hope so. You know, he's just well. Well, I, I had my doubts because he's just been hurt the whole time. Right. Maybe he's just tired of feeling pain. Yeah. Um. But but, but, he, but I, he I think he didn't. He hurt. can play, he can play a big role for Tech next year. Well, sure. you know, he he's his, he's a physical guy. You know, if 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 you look at he, just look at him, but and he buys in. He it, it was look at him, man. But yeah. but if but if you look at what Tech would have had to do if they weren't running Holston. Um, you know, Blackshear was ineffective earlier in the year at the running back spot. Just, just not physical enough. 
I'm really more of a guy who operates in space. Let's let's not yeah. argue that. Yeah. But to me, even even the plays, and this is what it what it comes down to for me. Even the plays where Holston didn't necessarily make the right read or ran into a pile or whatever, mm-hmm. he gets another one or two yards. He falls forward, and, and those guys are valuable. He's a big Georgia boy with SEC offers. Yeah. You know, he he was a, he was a good recruit for Tech and just kept getting hurt. Yeah. Uh, quickly want to touch on the receiving core. We're at, we're at the 60-minute mark, and we've got a lot of questions on YouTube, so I want to be quick here. But I do want to bring up uh, the receivers because Tech was a little shorthanded with uh, uh, with no Evan Fares, uh, no Caleb Smith. Tavion Robinson turned in one of his best receiving games of the year. Five receptions, 98 yards, and a touchdown. Of course, his touchdown at the end of the half really gave the Hokies a, a little bit of a comfortable lead, so to speak, yeah. going into the half. Did you feel the same way that was Tavion's? Arguably his best game of the year. Yeah, you know, as Fuente said after the game, after getting caught near the goal line so much, he actually scored a long touchdown. You know, and um, I, I, I honestly don't remember the rest of his game. I've I've had games where I've, I've thought he was very valuable, valuable, and was making a lot of catches. But beyond the big play, that that's the one that stands out. I don't really well, know. You know, I, I'm really looking forward to him. Hopefully actually get into spring practice this year the guy still 100 percent doesn't know how to play wide receiver yeah you know because he was a true freshman last year he was a high school quarterback and then he came in and immediately was a wide receiver for tech and then he didn't get to go through spring ball so he's never had spring ball ever to really truly and he's also never been through strength and conditioning right in a full off in a full off season exactly um so i'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do uh, once he once he's able to do those things, and that that's why the NCAA and one of their better decisions they've ever made that this year doesn't count from an eligibility standpoint. One hundred. Let's see if I do my math correctly here on the fly. Just about one hundred eighty of the two hundred twelve passing yards for Braxton Burmeister went to a combination of Tavion Robinson, James Mitchell, James Mitchell. and Trey Turner. Yeah. Uh, James Mitchell three receptions for sixty seven yards. Of course, he muffed the punt, but then he did everything else from <laughs> that standpoint from there. And he caught three balls for 67 yards. Is that the last time we see James Mitchell in a Hokie uniform at Lane Stadium? You know, he put in his paperwork to uh, get feedback. Did he do that last year, you are saying? No, he did it this, this year. year. Okay. Yeah, he said it. He told the media that last week. Okay. I guess some of it is going to depend on the feedback he gets. If they tell him, like, he's – He's going to be like in the first three rounds or something like that. Then I think he'll probably go. Um, and you know, I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you know, he's not blind or deaf. He knows what's going on with the coaching situation at Virginia Tech too. So some of it may come down to who's his football coach next year. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Uh, I don't know right now. That's a good question. I I, I think his his best fo- best football is as good as he is. His best fo- best football is probably ahead of him. I agree with that. Um, I, I think I think once he gets into an NFL program, and and you see him on the field, you're gonna be like, man, look at him. I I think he's gonna put on 20 pounds of NFL muscle. He's still only 242. Yeah, he, right. he, he's a guy who'll play in the NFL at probably 260, 265, mm-hmm. and then he'll really start to maximize all of his potential. Yeah, I would love to see him come back next year and take advantage of the Student Athlete Performance Center and what is hopefully a revamped, we'll just call it player development system. Well, the weight room's going to be much larger, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so uh, 
and he's going to be able to actually use it this time, I assume. I've always felt uh, like he's a guy who looked a little smooth to me, like right, like he wasn't right. really – Like he's gotten bigger, but he's still not quite not everything what you, you would expect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think he's the guy, if he did come back, though, I really do think he could improve his stock if if everything in the offseason goes right. Falls the right way. Falls, yeah. yeah, then he can really improve his stock. All right, two quick notes before questions. Offensive line was terrific uh, on Saturday. Virginia came in with 22 sacks over their last four games in the wow. top four wow. in the country in sacks this year, and the offensive line did not give up a single sack on Saturday. So there's one of your telling stats. Now, some of that is thanks to Braxton Burmeister. Yes. <laughs> he awarded yes. one or two. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good day for the vice squad, as they call it, the yeah. offensive line. Yeah. Quickly, my last thing, Brian Johnson, three field goals. You think about his career at Virginia Tech, right, Four when he used goals. to split time with Jordan Stout. And you think about the North Carolina game, uh, the sixth overtime game, the field goals that he missed. And then, I mean, Brian Johnson – where does he rank in the last 20 years or so? Best kickers if, if Virginia Tech If I remember, he struggled early on with making kicks over 40 yards. Correct. Yes, and then it's changed overnight, like in the Notre Dame game last yeah. year. Yeah. Like, I don't think I – I, I forget the exact numbers, but it was like a switch got flipped overnight. I remember he made the pretty long one against Notre Dame in those conditions. And when, we, when Tech tro- – uh, when I saw Tech was trotting out the field goal team, I was in the stadium, I'm like – Man, this isn't going to be good. He can't kick a field goal this long, even in regular conditions. And then, yeah. boom, he nailed it. And from that day, it was like a flip got uh, switched, got flipped, not a flip got a flip switched. Got switched. <laughs> well, I think the ACC Network guys, and again, they're dodgy on getting their facts right. I think they said he's the only Virginia Tech kicker to make three kicks of 50-plus yards in the same season. Mm. I believe oh. I heard them say that. It, does that mean it's correct? I don't know. Well, and think about Joey Sly, too, and the leg that he had. He doesn't yeah, have that. Yeah. So. I mean, he might be joining Joey Sly. Yeah. In, in the NFL next year, assuming he can kick off. Total side note. Well, Brian Johnson was kicking off in this game, right? Oh, was he? Well, Rome, yeah. Parker Roma was when he kicked it out of bounds. Oh, then yeah, Brian yeah. Johnson. Um, yeah. So, uh, quickly, because as we transition to the questions, a uh, lot, lot of questions here about the, the future of Virginia Tech football here yeah, in the chat. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. What, what do you think is next for this program? Uh wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, it it's it's interesting because I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, I'm not going to say on at, at 11 a.m. on Monday uh, certain things just because at this point the process has to play itself out. But but the very best sources, the guys who are really tied in aren't sure that Virginia Tech is going to make a coaching change. They think so. Other sources that that seem to know what they're talking about, but which we don't have a, a track record with. Uh, you know, well, there's two different types of sources. The, the ones that aren't sure are, they aren't quite sure, but they think it's going to happen. They're the ones tied in with Virginia Tech from an administration side. Yes. The ones who are telling us that, that, it's, going that, that it's, it's going to happen and it's a done deal, uh, they get their – they're not getting their information through Virginia Tech. They're getting it from somewhere else. Right. And, and, the, and some of their details is even the same. Yeah. And they don't know each other. 
So yes, so so like sources outside of Virginia Tech are telling us things, and they're matching up. Right. But the weird thing is, you're not hearing a whole lot on on Twitter or really anywhere. So um, I think one of the things that that we have heard is that um, Fuente doesn't really want to be here anymore. And could you blame him? You know, <laughs> it's it's been kind of rough. This I, I, he sounded after the game. Oh my god on his radio interview he was awesome to be honest with you and you see a picture with a beer next to him so he sounded the, like he already had about four or five when he got to his radio interview so let me jump in here and say <laughs> that that so i, I dm'd uh, john laser and i said is that online and he said we're working on it and last night laser oh. put the post game interview on uh apple Podcasts under hokey pod mm. so if you want to go listen to it did you, did you listen to it i have not listened to oh, it oh it was awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he didn't hold back very much uh he did it was like i i think he's probably ready for a fresh start is yeah. my honest yeah. honest opinion i think he really enjoyed winning that game the other night and i think he really enjoyed most of his players here uh, um you know, especially guys like Diablo and yeah. Tyrell Smith. Yeah. But I think he senses the need for a fresh start, too. Um, and the last nine months have been absolute hell on everybody, especially a football coach. And, and the players. Yeah. And the players. And You're I, seeing so many teams opting out of bowl games because they just don't want they're, to they're do just, They're just done with it, yeah. right? And so I – I think he he may may see it as an opportunity to just just start fresh, right? So uh, that that's the Justin Fuente side of things. The other side of things is, um, and and Whit Babcock's no dummy, and and whatever Whit's doing, he's doing it pretty much completely on his own, mm-hmm. and and that's why there's and he's really good at this. Yeah, he does not do public coaching searches, and and. You know, Hokie fans need to need to be thankful for that because that's when you get embarrassed. Yes. You know, now South Carolina got kind of lucky with their last search that they didn't embarrass themselves, and the end result wound up being something that most fans like. But you know who got embarrassed in the last South Carolina coaching search was Scott Satterfield. He yeah. he he said it was public that he talked to them, and then he said some things publicly afterwards, something about the difference between coaches and players. And how did it get public? Well, they should never even get public. He came out when when it's public that it's going on. Invariably, somebody's going to wind up looking bad, right? So whatever. What, um, and so so the vibes that we are getting is that a change is going to occur, but that could that could stop cold at any moment because it may depend upon what Wood is hearing from the candidates that he is approaching and working with. He may feel good about things, and that could change today. I mean, Auburn fired Gus Malzahn yesterday, and that wasn't expected. And this is a murky soup that has a lot of moving parts, and you don't really know what can happen in any given moment. It's kind of like basketball recruiting, yeah. you know. And and so if, if Witt feels like he's got a guy that, that, that is a good fit, then I think there will be a change, but that could change like literally today or anything. I think if, if Fuente did get let go, in theory, you would think it would be tomorrow because tomorrow is when the buyout drops to $10 million. Right. And, and we're recording I, I, on Monday. Uh, right. And exactly. Um, Monday the 14th. Monday the 14th. So, but then signing day is Wednesday. But I mean, like I said, there, there's there's no good timing to do no. this this year. I mean, no. it is what it is. It's just, it's, it's horrible for everybody. 
if that's what Tech wants to do. But I would think if, if Whit Babcock did make that announcement tomorrow, I would have to anticipate that we wouldn't be waiting too long for a head coaching announcement because I don't think he would make the move unless he knew he could get somebody that he wanted. It was so, do you remember the gap between the firing of James Johnson exactly. and the hiring of Buzz Williams? It was like, it was I like think, days, I, right? It was like James Johnson's firing was announced on a Tuesday, and, or maybe a Monday, but I think it was a Tuesday. And then that Friday, it came out, oh, Virginia Tech has hired Buzz Williams. I think you're right, right. So, and, and the beauty of dealing with Buzz is he had no agent. And right, that, and yeah. that, that's how you could keep it quiet. Yeah, that, that, that's true, right. yeah. His his agent wasn't Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, All right. Well, it, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. We've got a lot of questions, so uh, I'm going to go rapid fire with you guys. Your quick answers. Rapid fire, Chris. First one from Stephen yeah. Smark. Who is your player of the year for Virginia Tech? If you had to pick one, my player of the year for Virginia Tech would have to be pure performance. It's Darisaw. Uh, yeah, pure performance is Darisaw. Um, best football player. Is is Darisaw? Yeah. Uh, you're tempted to say Herbert because you know he rushed yeah, for over 1,200 yeah. yards. Yeah. Um, but the, if you said it was, I don't know. Offensive linemen always get cheated in this, right? The MVP of the team, right? I mean, an offensive lineman could be your best football so, so, player. Hey, let me head you off at the pass. If you remove Darisaw from the equation, you're playing Janzi and Tenuta, and they're they're pretty good. That's true. If you remove Herbert from the equation, what have you got? That's true. Right. So, yeah. So, so, that's, so sorry, sorry, Christian Darisaw, but right, that's the right. way you can look at it. Christian Darisaw, we think you're the best football player on the team, <laughs> but we have to give this particular award to Khalil Herbert. <laughs> to Khalil Herbert. He transformed the running game this yeah. year. Yep. Question from Ghost Rider 93. How big of a loss was uh, Galen Scott's firing for Justin Fuente? Oh, gosh. Uh, fairly substantial, I think. I mean, Tech had to make a coaching change after spring practice. And so basically Tech wanted to fall without with a coach who didn't even know the scheme as well as some of the players. You're talking about Tyrone Nix? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and who didn't want to be here? He, he didn't want to be here anyway. <laughs> and he was a guy out after one year. Um, it was a little harder to recruit here. Let's just put it yeah. that way. Um, Galen Scott was a guy who could have potentially been the foster. Well, he successor. was named co-defensive coordinator That's before right, he, he was, was let go. He was, well, I think he's more valuable as a confidant and a sounding board. I'm not sure he was all that great of a defensive coordinator if the, you look at we, it. We don't know. He was only a defensive coordinator for one year, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean – I think it was certainly a loss and, and didn't help. And honestly, that's about the thing start that's that's about when things started to slide. That was that was off season twenty eighteen. Yeah. I was sitting in a pub in Oxford, England when you texted me that news. Yeah? Yep, sure was. And I, I was Sorry to bother you. <laughs> C.T. Hokey Vax writes, What do you think Virginia Tech's expected record would have been with the original schedule? Ah, gosh. Gosh, first of all, you'd have to refresh my memory on the original Well, schedule. you had Penn State. You, <laughs> you would had, not have had Clemson. Li well, you had Liberty first week. You would have had Georgia Tech on the schedule. Instead and, of and Clemson. You, and you didn't. You're right. Um, you would have had. Was Liberty on the original schedule? Oh, yeah, first game of okay. the season. Right. Now, Tech would have beaten Liberty first game of the season. So um, they were playing Liberty and then Penn State? Yes. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I. I, I New scheme, man. Well, we saw what Tech did against NC State. Nobody knew, knew what they were going to do schematically right, right. and things like that. Uh, you know, I think with the original schedule, 
the having the original schedule means there would have been no COVID, and no COVID means you would have had Caleb Farley, and you would have had the spring to practice your defense. Mm. And I, I think it would have been better. I don't think there's any question it would have been better. The schedule would have it would have been the non-conference schedule. I guess would have been tougher because of Penn State, but the conference schedule would have been easier because no Clemson. You replace. You basically replace Clemson with Georgia Tech. Um, yeah, so we'd have to do a game by game analysis and clear. We don't have. Let's time assume for that. Tech beats Middle Tennessee. Well, wait a minute. Let's not do that. Right. Because, yeah, it's, because it's rapid we, fire. Right. Uh, eight and four, nine and eight three. Eight four, nine and three. Yeah. I just yeah. got the. Uh, it would. You had North Alabama on the schedule. You had Middle Tennessee on the schedule. It would have gone Liberty, Penn State yeah. at Middle Tennessee State, North Alabama, Georgia Tech at North Carolina bye week. Thursday night, Boston College at Louisville at Pitt on a Friday. Miami at Duke, Virginia. That was the original schedule. It's a very manageable schedule. Yeah, there's with there's everybody. Eight or nine team. wins there if you've been practicing your defense and you have Caleb Farley. Yeah, I okay. mean, question from PBA Anderson: If there's a new coach, what role will Frank Beamer and Bud Foster play? More, less, or the same? I think they'll be used for. Fundraising efforts, this, same, this, same as the they same. have been. The yeah. same. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see, a couple of other I, I think it would have been more if Shane had been hired, but uh, it's not likely to be anybody from the Beamer uh, universe. So, the same. And I don't think those guys are interested on stepping on anybody's toes either because that's an awkward situation for sure. everybody. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, by the way, doing a great job here with the Rapid Fires. So we got a lot of really good, like, multiple-sentence questions, so thanks, everybody, for chiming in. Cassie Larimore, would you say VT six points in the second half as opposed to 27 first-half points is more so attributed to the UVA defense making adjustments or VT playing not to lose? Uh, tech side on the football. Yeah, I honestly don't remember. I really, I really kind of quit watching the, the you know, um, yeah. At that, at I, that remember, point, I remember was, hoping they would do like a pop pass on third down on their last drive when they were trying to run out the clock. But, uh, yeah, I, I text out on the football. Did they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, question from Andrew Rosso. And I know that this literally was reported by Pete Thamel at 1130 last night. So this is going to be just gut reactions from you guys. I know you have not done your, uh, your prep. But – Thoughts on Jim Phillips, who's the current Northwestern AD, being named the new ACC commissioner. I don't know anything about Jim Phillips. I know he got there, assuming he's been their AD for four or five years, he got their alums to to pony up for a $250 million football facility. <laughs> on the lake, right? On the, on the lake. lake. It's a, they've, got, they've got a beach. They've got lifeguard <laughs> at chairs. At Northwestern. At Northwestern. Where it's it, cold. Oh, I don't know. They can use the thing two months out of the year, I guess, the beach at least. Uh, but uh, but it's beautiful. Uh, so he's good at things like that. Other than that, I don't know anything about him, so I don't know if I have any thoughts. And it's being but, reported. It's not officially confirmed, but that is the that right, they're working on right. a deal. I just – honestly, man, the ACC has probably needed to move on from John Swafford for about 10 years. Hmm. So – I'm happy, but I also feel like the last decade has been spent missing opportunities. Um, so so I, I don't know. I, I, we're, is is the league too far behind now from a TV contract standpoint and an ACC network standpoint and everything like that? Could some of the things that have happened been avoided with new leadership about 10 years ago? Right. I think maybe some of them could. 
some of it not so much because there's just so many schools in this conference that just don't have big fan bases. That's just how the conference is made up. So, I mean, the question is, what does the league lead now, and, and does he have a good – what does the league need now, and does he have a strong background in that stuff? And that's kind of a complex question that I can't answer right now. Not a rapid-fire question. And again, that was sources, and that was this is being reported. It's not mm-hmm. official that he has been right. – I want to make that very clear. But that was from Pete Thamel last night that had been reported – um, that he is, they're working on a deal for him to become the next commissioner. Okay, question from Jeremy Beverly. Do you think Fuente, if given the option, changes some staff positions to save his job or refuses and therefore is let go? Oh, I mean, I think he would actually change some staff members this year if given the option. I um, do too. There, I'm actually inclined to believe, there, there are rumors out there that he would have done it last year with the with the budget, but he did not have the budget to do it. Um. I don't know if that's true or not. There's no way to know whether that's true or not. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was true. Um, like, I, I think there was no – like, I, Brian Mitchell was a really, really, really good football coach. And basically you just – you didn't renew the contract of the guy who developed the two best corners in the ACC, and that doesn't make a lot of sense from a Fuente standpoint who pri- who prides himself on player development and things like that. So I don't even know, like, they might have had to save money at cornerbacks, Coach, to hire Bill Tierlink or something like that, right. you know. So, yeah, I just don't think the budget was in place for him to do it in the past. And, like, I do think the budget's going to be in there in place this year with the Football Enhancement Fund, which ironically exists or will exist because of him flirting with Baylor. Right. So if he is still around, he'll get to take advantage of it. And But if he's not, somebody else will. And, you know, I wrote in – in my article last January called A Shot Across the Bow, which I think is the most aptly titled article I've ever written. Um, I said, I don't know how Fuente's tenure will turn out, but, you know, he's forcing Virginia Tech to do things like get out and raise money to have bigger assistant coach salaries and things like that. I said, but in 10 to 15 years, we might be very grateful to him. And right now, if Virginia Tech is truly in a coaching search, if he didn't do that last January, Tech would be in an awful lot of trouble in this coaching search. Because Whit Babcock has been able to raise, and it's not going to be finalized till March, but from last January to this March, that's 14 months, $5 million per year for the football enhancement fund is what mm-hmm. it's officially called. Imagine if he, if he hadn't been doing that this whole time. And, and, you, and, and you had to go on the market. And to go on coach. the market right now and – Every every prospective coach would be like, I need this, I need this, and this need this, and he'd be like, Oh crap! How am I going to raise this? Money he would have had two, to smile in and two say, weeks. I'll get that for you. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, I'll get right on that. I'll get right on that. Yeah. And now he can say, Well, here's what we got going but, but, on. But you know, I, yeah, that and that coach would have wanted it in writing too. Right. You know, and he wouldn't have been able to deliver. So yeah. we're in this situation. Like Justin Fuente is going to be a net positive for Virginia Tech because he forced the administration to go out and do some things that they probably should have been doing before. And if Fuente had left and gone to Baylor last year, we would have been in an awful lot of trouble in that coaching search because mm-hmm. we didn't have those things. And if he didn't flirt with Baylor, we'd be in an awful lot of trouble right now if we were on the open market. Um, right. So, so, yeah, sorry for the long answer. No, no, that's a, that's <laughs> a, uh, that's a great answer. Uh, let's go down to 
Clark Rulin, despite the 5-6 and six record, should the bowl streak be extended if the opportunity is presented? Uh, I don't care. You know, if, oh, if I, the players, I, actually. So on the last podcast, I was like, oh, yeah, you got to have the practice time. And, and I've just totally changed my thinking. If the players and coaches want to do it, do it. If not, don't do it. I, I, I don't care. I, uh, I've called the bowl streak an albatross before because I feel like in the past, Virginia Tech has held on to things like that and the UVA streak and whatever. And... It's prevented them from making changes. I think there have been times in the past where it would have been beneficial for Tech to lose the bowl streak. Like, I think if Tech had lost the bowl streak in, like, 2008, when somehow they managed to win the ACC with a 5-3 and three conference record, that's how bad the league and was back then. one of the worst then. offenses in the country. Right, so, yeah, yeah. So, Tech won the ACC that year, not because Tech was good, because everybody mm-hmm. else stunk. And if, if – and, and they used that season and other seasons like that is an excuse not to make changes. Seduce, I, if, seduced by success. Seduced by success. And if Tech had not made a bowl game in, let's say, 2008, then I think that would have forced Frank Beamer to make offensive coaching changes after that season as opposed to waiting until after 2012 when it was too late, right? So now that – so I always wanted – I was always willing to lose the bowl streak if it meant Virginia Tech could change for Advanced the better. Advanced as a program. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh now I think that change is going to happen, and they don't have to sacrifice the bowl streak for it. So, yeah, I, I'd like to play play in a bowl. So I'll, I'll say this: I, I think the all-time record is thirty-five or thirty-six bowls in a row. I think it's Nebraska. I'd like to get that. So from that standpoint, if they want to go to a bowl, I hope they do, mm-hmm. and I hope they're—I don't know—I hope they're able to keep things well, going. Well, they didn't make an announcement yesterday. Um, now, Justin Fuente said after the game, he said in his radio interview with Laser, he was going to have a 10 a.m. Sunday Sunday meeting with the coaching staff, then a noon meeting with the players. And he said, I'm going to ask the players what they think about going to a bowl game. And I'm not going to tell them how I feel because I don't want it to influence what they think. I'm just going to ask them how they feel. Um, I would assume if they had voted no that there would have been an announcement made yesterday. Okay. We've seen Virginia um, made an announcement yeah. on Sunday. Balls at college publicly made a statement Pitt saying has, they were opting Pitt's out. Pitt's also opted out. Pitt's also opted out. So I would assume that if the Virginia Tech players decided yesterday to not go to a bowl, we, we would have already seen it. But every every interview that was done with every Tech player after the game, it was Brock Hoffman saying, I've never played in the bowl. I'd like to play in a bowl. Khalil Herbert. Herbert, I've never played in the bowl. I'd like to. Poor guy at Kansas. Right, right exactly. <laughs> uh, he's never won a rivalry game until He has Saturday. played in empty stadiums, though. That's true. <laughs> wow. Well. Oh. Ouch. Uh, They've so, got less miles. I want to go see him. So I actually, I actually do think Tech will uh, will accept a bid, if, if they, assuming they get one. All right. Final question, and then we got to wrap things up. Question from Ryan Hunley. Is Herbert a top three running back all time at tech, or does he need another year to reach that level? How about I phrase it this way? Was this season for Herbert, a top three single season performance by any tech running back in program? I want to say, I think Virginia tech or Pete Morris or somebody tweeted out a list the other day of best all purpose yardage seasons in tech history. And he's way up there. He's way up there, but I want to say he was fourth. Mm-hmm. And the three guys ahead of him were running back. So Fourth, going back to like 1985 or right, something, so, like, something that. like that. So, you know, you can make the argument. Um, if we did a running back draft tomorrow, like if we, if there were, 
We should actually do this on a podcast one day. We should we should all have a fantasy draft of Virginia Tech football players. Okay. Um, I think mm, that'd be a that fun. That would be fun. That'd be a fun. That's off-season. an off-season. Uh, Absolutely. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out, like, which back would he be off the board, right? Well, Ryan Williams would go first. You got to throw a Darren Evans in there. You got to uh, throw. No, KJ would be up there. Kevin Jones would be up there. Mm-hmm. David so, David Wilson would be up there. Suggs would be up there. Suggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then so I think I think he would go anywhere from three to five, probably fourth or fifth. Though. And I've said many times that it's really the combination of him and this offensive line that's right. so great, right? Because he's they, the 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 way they block and the way they hold their blocks is is perfect for a guy like that. The the offensive lines you had in the mid late two thousands, those were Ryan Williams offensive lines. You right. need Ryan Williams behind that offensive and, line. And, you know, my draft, it would it might even depend on how who was my quarterback, right? Yeah. I thought you and I did a fantasy draft one time. It was mm-hmm. just you versus me, though. And, like, uh, I I picked uh, Vic as my quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I want to say – I want to say I picked Kevin Jones as my running back because I think I said that would – the athleticism between those two, the pure athleticism would be yeah. impossible to handle. I think that was my reasoning. But, you know, we should do that as an off-season project. Okay. Yeah. All-purpose yards in a season since 1985. Damien Sells just sent me this. David Wilson, uh, a total of uh, just over 2,000. Herbert is sixth all-time all-purpose yards in a single season since 1985. Ahead of him on that list, Dwayne Thomas in 93. Shyron Stith in 99, Kevin Jones in 2003, Ryan Williams in 09, and David Wilson number one in 2011. Well, in the case of Stith and, and Dwayne Thomas, they were probably returning kickoffs. Kickoff returners. Yeah. And Herbert returned some. Yeah. Think some, about the Duke some, game, right? He almost had that touchdown yeah, yeah, for a, yeah. So, uh, and by the way, we will leave the podcast with this. Pete Thamel tweeted two minutes ago, Source, the ACC Board of Governors has approved Jim Phillips as the next league's commissioner. An announcement of the hire is expected later today. So, can't uh, wait to analyze that. There we looking, go. Looking and uh, can we look forward to a Monday Thoughts article today, Will? Uh, I'm sketchy on it. Uh, some some games you, you're really – well, I have to because it's UVA. Um, I just don't know how good or lengthy it's going to be. Because, you know, you could write a really, really good lengthy column and then something happened in the middle of the day today that invalidates half of what you so, wrote. So right? that's part of it. Um, but I do need to write something about this game specifically. But it's funny um, – Sometimes you're. Sometimes I know exactly what I'm going to write and say, and that was the case last week. It's really not the case this week. I, I have a few thoughts going through my head. Uh, eh, Monday thoughts. So there you go, <laughs> and I'll put them down. It's not going to be an eight-page epistle, though. I think because because there is a lot going on right now that we need to keep our eyes on. So I'll, I'll do something. Yes, uh, Chris. What will be coming up on TechSideline.com this week? No clue for the same reasons. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> How about this? Because um, um, Tom and Mary Lester did ask us, will we have basketball coverage tomorrow? Yeah, I'll get J- I'll get Jake to write. A, uh, assuming he's able to do it, to write a Clemson preview. Um, I know we didn't talk about that. I apologize, but today football heavy. If Jake can't do it, then I'm not going to have time. Right. I'm guessing. Uh, it, you know, signing days on Wednesday. Fuente's buyout drops tomorrow, so if anything did happen there, you would think it would be tomorrow, right? Yeah. So, uh, all, and all those makes it kind of impossible to to plan co- content from. We're going from, with from flow the, this week. We're just going with the flow. Now we will say that. If something does happen with Virginia Tech's coaching situation, uh, you know, we'll we'll have a special podcast at, at yes. some point. You know, 
uh, might not be within the hour that the news breaks, but right. but you know it'll we're all around and we're all able to do it. Yep. Uh, Will, you know, it is the most wonderful time of the year. What's a great holiday gift you could give to somebody on uh, on Christmas or for a holiday? What, do you, what would be good? A techsideline.com gift subscription. And how which, can you do that? Which means, well, I need to get up from the podcast and go over and sit down at my desk and put the icon on the homepage. So it's not quite there yet, but um, keep your eyes peeled for it. I'm usually pretty good about it. I, I haven't been good this year. Uh, but it'll be... So if, if you, I don't know where it'll show up on a, on a, on a phone, which is like 70% of our traffic now, but if you look at it on, on, your, on a PC and go to the homepage, you'll see a little, I think it's the uh, ad that we put up as a little gift wrap package. Awesome. So look for that. Uh, students, twenty nine ninety nine a year. It's a great deal. I know there's a lot. You know. Yes. So, so to be clear, the gift subscriptions are one year subscriptions at the $85 price. Gotcha. If you have a student that you want to give a gift sub to email me and we'll handle that differently uh that's awesome yeah I, there are a lot of students that listen to the podcast i got a compliment that i was in a class and i did a podcast for a, a class it was a history class i was doing it for my final and someone writes and it goes i listen to you on the tech sideline podcast how about so, that there you go so okay <laughs> cool. we're over 90 minutes thanks for staying a little bit later guys it's gonna be a busy week he's at will stewart tsl on twitter He's at Chris Coleman, TSL on Twitter, our homepage at Tech Sideline on Twitter. Be sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything going on on Virginia Tech Athletics. And if you're watching on YouTube, we've got 29 likes. Can we get it over 30? Just hit that like button, please, and hit the subscribe button as well. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Nope. Let's go. Okay. That'll wrap it up for us. Episode 158 of the Tech Sideline Podcast for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long, and thanks so much for watching episode 158 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by Campus Emporium and the Southeast Regional Training Center. Have a great week, Hokies.